We grew up believing there was a right way to be. We grew up understanding that there was a, a way to win at belonging, that a proven set of actions, generosities, leadership, submission, death to self, repentance, and enough sinners' prayers would rewrite the unholy core within us into a redemption story, where we starred as worthy, forgiven, lovable, marriable, accepted, celebrated, manicured matter that would thrive and reign as suitors and supporters lined up to play their role in our hashtag blessed trajectory, our right life of picket fences and holy matrimony and Bible studies and retirement and all those dollars we'd collect and all those arrows for our quivers that we'd tearfully send off to college. Of course, we also grew up believing we were loved despite our depravity, that our sinful souls had damned us before we could speak, that grace meant somehow we'd be plucked from the dark mire and destruction toward which we were compulsively driven and allowed to sit at the table as long as we washed our dirty hands in holy water, as long as our own image was obscured by the Jesus standing between us and the Father, the mess of our being hidden from his only holy eyes. So we were damned, but saved, but the saved and the damned must still do their damnedest. So we carved away the pieces of ourselves we were told our father wouldn't want to see. We were told he had no stomach for cursing, so we shackled our sharp tongues. We were told he was jealous, so we whittled away at our edges to make ourselves appropriately small. We were told he valued blind faith over arrogant pondering, so we dulled our wits and etched the threat right out of our observations. We were told if we really knew him, we'd want all the right things. So we took an axe to our longings, to our wanderings and our wild, and we recited the right desires in the mirror, hoping they would become ours hoping we would become them. We bartered and begged and stole for this unholy hope. We traded our passionate rants or our threatening questions, our inclinations toward leadership, our voices, or the unconventional way we wanted to wear our hair. We shucked off our true skins and tried to wear the right ones because right is what they wanted from us. Because right is what they said he wanted from us. Because holy was only holy one way, one narrow, true, and unwavering way to be. Be good enough to know that you'll never really be good enough. There is only grace, grace given freely. And to receive it, here is what you must become. Inevitably, like a tide from the oceans of careful behavior behind us, the pieces of ourselves we sacrifice to become right hunger and swell to return. We hear their call like a wild thing. The anger we silenced swarms in our stomach. The image that suited us flickers behind our curated reflections. The desire we quelled burns under our fingernails. The passion and whole and unique winding howl of us quivers under our skins until they itch with our own memory, until we itch with our own becoming, until we realize that to become ourselves, we must unbecome. The right way image 
and likely along with it many of the good thoughts and regard and acclaim it has collected must be abandoned to allow our souls to tell their story. And this is deconstruction, the hard death of learning we were never the right way projection. Hear me. You were never the right way projection. There was never a right way to begin with. There was never death nor deed needed to make you lovable, to make you worthy, to make you palatable, to make you belong. You, your core created or dreamt up or evolving or born, your desire and your edges and hopes and perspectives, you belong here. You deserve a place at the table, and you are allowed to come home to collect and to claim yourself. You are allowed to give yourself a name. You are allowed to say, I am no longer sorry. And you are why I still believe in a version of God with a grace so unlike the definitions we were given. I see it every time I look at you. Spiritual Conversations for the Godless. I'm Matthew Blake. And I'm Karen Thurston. Welcome to Heathen. Well, hi, Heathens. Hi, Heathens. I just came from my meditation practice, so I'm just kind of like, hmm. Um, So it's going to be a riveting podcast. (laughs) You guys are so glad you're here. I think it's going to make for a really good conversation. I think so, too. Thank God we've got a third human being in the room. We do have a third human being in the room. Would you like to introduce our third human being, Karen Thurston? I can't introduce him because we have to let him introduce himself. (laughs) That's true. That's like we built a whole thing around this. I'm like, wait, no, this feels so wrong. (laughs) Totally Hi, Ben Grace. Have. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Long time listener. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I meant. It's just like acknowledge the person and then let the person. <laughs> would, Hi, you like to acknowledge, ben. would you like to acknowledge the person that we want to introduce themselves? Yeah. Ben Grace, hi. Hi. Welcome to Heathen. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah. I was um, listening to you guys for months on my treadmill in Colorado. So <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. It's so fun when we get to like talk to people who know what we're doing. Right. And. and are already in that vein. Mm-hmm. You know the inside jokes and stuff already, mm-hmm. so that's helpful. Yeah, and when right. we talk when about Enneagram, we it's going to make sense. We can sing the Rod of God song. We can sing the Rod of God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. All right, so you know what we do here mm-hmm. on Even. The guests get to introduce themselves so that you get to set the stage however you want it set and mm-hmm. be who you want to be and reveal the pieces and parts of yourself that you feel are appropriate for this conversation. So, right, torch past. Well, this is this is the part that I usually hate. I know. You know, uh, <laughs> I think everybody but, does. But actually, <laughs> one of the reasons why I'm here is because I hired Karen to write my bio, and she did a great <laughs> job. So everyone should go and just read that. Um, but yeah, I'm an Australian singer-songwriter. I've been in the States for seven over seven years. Uh, been here writing. Uh, I came here to co-write mainly, um, and came here to kind of 
just learn from the American way of, of songwriting. Uh, but now I kind of tour primarily by myself, doing Americana kind of stuff. Uh, I worked in church. I started a church in Brooklyn, um, which was just an evangelical church that eventually, after a few years, uh, deconstructed itself and became an open affirming church, the first open affirming evangelical church in New York. I'm putting a pin in that. Uh-huh. That's a rare rarity. Yeah. Okay. So that's how we kind of wandered into this world and how I know uh, Kate and Colby and mm. um, through all that with thought, the open collective that used to be. So, yeah, so I did that, grew up in a cult. Um, which I know we're going to talk about that because I've heard your stories and I heard. I'm sorry, it's just like it's just like another bullet, another bullet point in your list of who I am. Grew up in a cult, you know, singer songwriter. Right. So Ben, why are you here? Is the question. Like, what draws you to Because it's even? Monday afternoon. Ooh, holy shit! Already okay. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yes, we are putting a pin in that one as well. So. Yeah, well, I knew we'd probably talk about that. Mm-hmm. I'd be giving lots uh, overlapping super kind of worlds. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Sydney, Australia, in this super conservative fundamentalist uh, church, and um, have been deconstructing for a long, long time. Um, so this has been a long journey. I feel like every few years, something else falls down, another layer of ice to fall through. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's been useful for me because I feel like just not only in the fact that I'm not working in a church currently now, and quite happy not to be, but um, just in my art, I feel like a lot of that is still infused with all of that stuff and a lot of my own pain and a lot of my own things that I'm kind of figuring out along the way. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else you need to know about me. What are you on the Enneagram? I'm I'm a, well, (laughs) (laughs) about as complicated as you. Yay! I'm a three with, I think, wings pretty strong towards four, but I also have the two wing available to me, hence working at church. Mm. Mm. Welcome to the Triad Club. You know, we've talked about this before. Yeah. All the twos that were for a church and the lead pastor was Enneagram 8. Mm-hmm. So, hey. Unhealthy 8. As <laughs> unhealthy 8. <laughs> I've, I've been in churches where the, that is the exact setup I, as well. Yeah. I think and it's all And an 8, when we're operating in unhealth, we, we um, move to that too as well. So I it's, have been operating as a 2 in a church for, a, for unhealthy 8 pastors as well. Right. So. I know the dynamic. For those of you who still don't know what we're talking about, eventually we will do an Enneagram episode and explain what the heck. But until then, y'all, there's resources. Yeah, Yeah, but don't take the test on the internet because it's not helpful. Read a book or listen to a podcast. Do that, but then start listening to podcasts and figure out. Yeah, if you do take if you take the test on the internet, don't assume that it is right. right. Assume that it assume that it might be completely wrong because a lot of times the test is wrong so yeah it gives a lot of false false uh, especially false twos especially false for people twos, who grew yeah. up in churches and, right, so. yeah. um, and if you're a woman as well socialized to be twos right exactly so yeah. test with caution if you must test yeah i'm i'm an i love the enneagram for that reason though i think once i test it as a two which mm-hmm. i still probably test as a two then I realized I test I was unhealthy, and that kind of led me to kind of understand that Enneagram is not like Myers Briggs. It's not telling you what's fucking awesome about yourself. Yeah, it's actually kind of a, a growth, a spiritual kind of pathway, and so to know that you actually have places you go in stress and in deconstruction uh, was really helpful to me because that kind of what has led me back to kind of my real self because mm. I'd been for years operating out of this false self. So um, true. So much truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm the same way. Like the. I think I would have been even a little hesitant to um, claim the eight as mm-hmm. my number, which I, 
I feel like we're going to end up spending a little bit of time on this, so maybe we should Why get some, some context. But So, like, the eight is the challenger. It's kind of this, mm-hmm. like, um, outspoken, uh, uh, big personality with a lot of energy behind it, right? And and I would have been a little hesitant to claim that because mm-hmm. so much of my life has been... I mean, my 20s were... I, I was totally operating in that place of deep unhealth in, mm-hmm. in, and had, had navigated... What was it called? Migrated? Um whatever I had moved to the two, mm. which is the, the, the helper and yep. the, where you find your worth and your value and, and what you can, um, give to people. And you, and when you're, especially when you're unhealthy in that place, you are, um, doing what you do in order to get relationship mm-hmm. in right. order to get affirmation from people. Yeah. Like, it's not just that you're a helpful person. It's that you're craving that. It's that in order mm-hmm. to be lovable, you must also be useful. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was my 20s for sure. So yep. go, get, getting into the Enneagram totally gave me that, like, oh, yeah, like this This is more my Eddie's state. It's yeah. just that I've had these out, outside factors influencing my life for so long that, it. I mean, I was real, real comfortable in that place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a huge part of my story. So I'm happy to talk about it because I think the two, the helper was where I hid for so long. And even as an artist, I hid behind organizations. So I'd be like the lead guy of a Christian arts organization rather than actually be Ben Grace. Or I'd be in a band mm. with a band name rather than be Ben Grace. Yeah. Or I'd be, you know, as was one of my last big collaborations in New York, be the songwriter and the manager and the kind of the 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 music director of a band without being Ben Grace. Yeah. And so I was always trying to be Ben Grace by not being who I was entirely. Oh, wow. and, and when I finally woke up to that, it was huge. Like it was just... Wow. I mean, it was painful as fuck, but, yeah. you know, it was also kind of a huge part of me actually kind of uh, coming into myself and being who I was. Because mm. I only started playing songs and I only started playing shows under my own name in September of 2016. So it's, only, like, it's really, really new to me. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's, that's really interesting though, the way you phrase that, like trying to be yourself by hiding yourself in another thing, mm-hmm. like, huh? obscuring yourself basically. Yep. Wow. Which also makes sense when you grow up in a cult and being a four, you know, or a three, four inside yeah. a cult where you're not supposed to stick out and be yourself, right? Yeah. And I think with a lot of faith communities, it's the same way. It's just like mute yourself in mm-hmm. order to be pleasing if you're a woman or even, even, even as a guy, be pleasing yep. um, to kind of, you know, bring yourself back for the good of others, for the sake of the world. Like a lot of the things that we say in church world is fundamentally unhealthy in my opinion, Um uh, even this idea, I think, which we've talked about with, with twos, this idea of being the helper, the self-sacrificial conversation, that love is self-sacrificing. So like this idea of Jesus dying on the cross for us, therefore we should lay down our life for our friends. Instead of like, well, Jesus kind of did that shit. We didn't have to do that. Like mm. as a two, you do not actually have to go to a place of self-immolation mm. in love in order to kind of get what you want. Mm. Boundaries. Mm. <laughs> so you much fun. be good. You don't have to crawl on your hands and knees through the desert repenting. There's a lot of that there. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so this is good because the other place we always generally like to start is getting the little bit of the background, the Mm -hmm. the upbringing, what 
Krista Tippett calls the spiritual background of your youth. <laughs> um, well, if Krista Tippett calls it that, then yeah. I feel like we should also call it. Yeah, well, we kind of have. I mean, <laughs> she goes, I would like to go also. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that would be great. You know. We've we stole a lot of things from other podcasts for this podcast. Like the whole intro yourself thing is straight out of Cameron Esposito's query. Nothing right? new under the sun, no, Matthew yeah. Blake. I love Cameron Esposito. You tell me about her, right? Yeah, she's yeah. fantastic. I adore her. Cameron, yeah. we love you. Yeah. Cameron Esposito. Yeah, come on still, the show. Still waiting we for really, that. We still love you so much. <laughs> yeah, I think I listened to her rape joke special. You my about face that. is all over it's her incredible. rape joke special. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. like, so. oh, that's right. In the yeah, corner. Cameron, it's me in the corner. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> in the spotlight, losing my religion. This is perfect, you guys. It all goes together. Okay, so we're going to send Cameron Esposito a little parody song. And meanwhile... It's me in the corner. Of yeah. Rape jokes. Well, this is fun for me. I'm going to bring it back now. Yeah. Um, but because from what I know of Ben's story and what I know of your story, Matthew, I'm really interested to hear the two of you actually like story swap a little bit because I think there's some compelling overlap in uh, the way that you grew up. So I'm going to just kind of hang out. <laughs> Are you accusing <laughs> me of listen. having grown up in a cult? No, nope. <laughs> I am not saying they're the same. And words are just words, and people choose the words that they feel fit, whatever. But I am very interested in exploring this as well, mm-hmm. because maybe my upbringing was more cult-like than it was not. So let's... Right. So you guys talk. I'll Google the actual definition of cult, and then we'll... Um, <laughs> Awesome. I know. I think technically, I where I grew up was a sect. Technically, a sect. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it, it's labels, right? It's kind of yeah. what you call them. And yeah. I think for me, the last few years has been me kind of claiming that mm-hmm. and saying that for me it was super unhealthy. I also grew up on the inside family, you know. So it's one of those things where it's like for other other. So Christadelphians was the, the church I grew up in. Christadelphians. Yeah, Chris, Christadelphians. Christadelphians. Yeah. So okay. it's brother of Christ. Started in New York by a guy called, guy called John Thomas, if you can believe that, <laughs> uh, who had a protege called Robert Roberts. So okay. both of them used business for the penis, which I think is very Great. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're both buried in Brooklyn, which Dicking was hilarious because I lived in Brooklyn. I never visited their graves. I often joked about going and having a conversation, mm. but I uh, didn't get there. Uh, yeah, so I think for a lot of Christadelphians, their experience would be quite different, you know. I think for me, I grew up as like my my dad started a, a church, uh, not a church, a school within the movement, and then my grandfather on my mother's side was like just a big, you know, speaker at travel all over the world and do the whole thing. So I think for me, I was always like one of those kids. that was like, oh, you're either Stuart Gilmore's son or you're uh, John Martin's grandson, you know. Like so, that was always I was destined to be, yeah. you know, some sort of leader. So when I decided my teens to be the guy who's like going to do contemporary worship which wasn't a thing because we grew up only, only doing hymns mm. like I was kind of the black sheep who was like why are you doing this thing like this doesn't make sense you know uh, <laughs> it's so <laughs> wild when like doing contemporary worship is the thing that is like <laughs> put, making you the black sheep right singing like Mom lame drops. songs like yeah, I yeah, love yeah. you lord and I lift my voice exactly. <laughs> people are just like <gasps> oh my gosh He's taking us down a slippery slope. Wow. We like yeah. slippery slopes. Yeah, I know you guys like slippery Fanny slopes. Fanny J. Crosby didn't write that. Oh, I love Aww. Fanny Crosby. Um, so that the inside family, that's what you mean. You you had a heritage that mm-hmm. was like right. a lineage that you were expected to yeah. walk in. How, how old is the... 
Christadelphians? Uh, like, when did it? It's kind of late 1800s, I believe, is when. So they came out of the Stone Campbell restoration mm. kind of movement thing. John Thomas was in the room with Stone and Campbell. And he differed on a bunch of things. He differed on, um, like, baptism and a few things that he kind of, they weren't quite. But he, he loved debate, was the thing. Like, the guy who started the thing loved it to be like everyone should make up their own mind. That was his whole principle. Huh. But Robert Roberts, who came along, was the guy who then wrote the book. It was like, you should therefore meet on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. You should do the audio of service this way. And then it just stuck. You know, there was like oh, a wow. template. But um, It was that specific, like some of the... Oh, yeah. The initial... There's a thing called the Ecclesial Guide. So they called ecclesias, not churches, because that's more biblically correct. You mm-hmm. know, ecclesia mm-hmm. from the Greek word. So... They're very obsessed with being first century church, like a lot of people are. Yeah. You know, kind of yeah. simplicity and all that kind of stuff. Without, of course, the whole, you know, sharing all things in common and doing all the other stuff that was good about the first century church. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what, what else? There was another thread there in my head that was I was trying to figure out. Um, yeah, um, I, I just asked how old it was. Cause I was oh, yeah. So, so late 1800s. Kind of went out of that. I think the biggest thing for him was um, conscious objection. So when he decided he did, there should be non-violent, so he was a pacifist. And when I think um, something conscription hit, he went and actually wrote down the word Christadelphian is the reason why he was going to not go to war. And so they're kind of famously like non... They, they don't, oh. You don't vote, you don't do um, jury duty. You, you, you do as, mu- as little as possible to be involved with government. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. And you just have to write on your when you because in Australia you actually have to vote. It's mm-hmm. part of your thing. It's not like here where it's actually voluntary. You actually have to. If you don't vote, you get fined or you get a letter. Really? So when when the letter comes, you write and say the reason why I didn't vote is because I'm Christadelphian, and they and they would know, they, they would accept that. That's they a, accept that. That's an acceptable religious kind of, exemption. Yeah, that's right. So wow. it's very much this whole like be in the world but not of it. You know? Yeah. Um, which. Which was rather than completely ignoring the render under Caesar, what is Caesar's? Right, like that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they still will do taxes and all that kind of stuff, of course. But okay. and I think there's a you know there's a difference I think between my experience and other people like in say Amish experience or whatever, where we lived in society. Like I went to a public school, but I was not allowed to go to any parties at all at school. I didn't go to any um, overnight camping trips with school. I was allowed to sit in sex ed. Mm. In in school, so I had to go and sit in the teacher's office and be that kid. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> which was which? Yeah, fucking sucked. No joke. <laughs> Did the other kids have mercy on you and tell you no, what they learned? Or not they at all? I was that kid you. in high school that, like, in the high school yearbook, was most likely to start a cult or lead a cult. Was <laughs> oh was. My was God. <laughs> I was known as cult boy and, you know, so it was, oh it was God. traumatic really. That's awful. But then you also learn because I think part of, for me, you know, realizing, I think at age 11 or 12, just seeing through a lot of the bullshit of it was, was seeing how clever it was where you could just, we could be hypocritical. We could actually have two different lives. So I was that kid who would have a girlfriend at school and a girlfriend at church. And oh. like, so I just divided my life out because it was easy. Like yeah. once, especially once I kind of realized that there was a certain game there it was easy to kind of just play that. So you caught on early enough to... Yeah. But not in a healthy way. Right. All, but just, but, but even being able to discern like that that level of... That, that it's a game. Yeah. yeah like, that's right. You just said that it's a game that you could then play and essentially then bend the rules or create your own rules or whatever. Yeah. And I think I know enough about you guys that you can talk about how often were the good kids in church. Mm-hmm. And I was the good kid. Like I wanted to be baptized when I was 13. Like I was, you know, 
remember having a pretty mystical kind of experience around seeing, you know, well, mystical because I'd probably been up for two nights at the end of it, you know, a youth camp <laughs> and probably was delirious and sitting in the, in, the, in the Sunday memorial meeting, which is our kind of Eucharistic breaking of bread meeting. And I felt like I saw, felt like I was Peter and I saw Jesus turn to me when the, the you know, the cock crowed for the third time and felt that look mm. of Jesus and just felt so disappointed and felt like, and so I had this experience, went home like devastated and was like, I want to like live, you know, live right. And so I was so, I was still so scared of my dad, I actually had to write him a letter uh, to say, I want to be baptized. I slipped it under his, under the door ran away, didn't hear from him for like two days, like nothing happened, like just being like, I don't know what happened. Then he finally kind of walked into my room with this massive stack of books and said, read these and we'll talk. And I'm like, I, what? Like, because I was the good kid. I was the kid who would be like upside down in the backseat of a car at the back of our church doing the Sunday school exam and would come out, you know, top of the class. And yeah. like, I knew all the answers. I knew all that stuff, you know, mm. that was not new to me. Um, so I think for me, when I, when that happened, I realized I was like, well, I have a choice here cause I'm not going to read these books. Like I know these things and it wasn't so much, there was partly arrogance, but also partly like my known experience of what I want, you know, like you can't, how can you get in the way of someone wanting to move forward with their life spiritually yeah. by saying, here are the rules. So I spent most of my teenage years trying to fuck that up as much as possible and, mm. you know, just like do the both thing, you know, like be in church and do all that kind of stuff, but also have this other life in school and, you know, play the game. I can appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, two lives. <laughs> <laughs> Both alike in dignity. Been, been down that road. Although yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have an external outlet for my, my second life. It was entirely interior. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm being gay. That's right. I'm talking about, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean. What? I mean, <laughs> Sorry. Surprise. <laughs> oh my god, he does. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I, it, it lends itself to that, especially in a kid who can make mm-hmm. that discernment. Because that was me too, to a degree. Right. I was always too scared to say anything out loud that about, at least up until probably later high school, I, I was never going to question anything out loud or... Right especially challenge my papa i kind of also came from the we, we always we just call papa like the pillar of mm-hmm. our community he was he was the man who would have very obviously and clearly been like the main guy moving things forward and would have been an elder and everything except he refused to be an elder because of like a verse in timothy or something that says the children of an elder are well behaved and bubble and, oh. and so he literally like put that on his own kids and said well you guys are bad so i can't serve the wow. church in this way yeah 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 so <laughs> but he still did like he yeah. still did all the things yeah. he just <laughs> didn't take the title <laughs> i love that i know uh, so um <clears throat> Man, okay, so it was like writ. It is writ. Like mm-hmm. you will meet at eleven a.m. Like that kind oh, of yeah. that level of detail. Oh, yeah. I'm interested in hearing more about that. Cause, and, yeah. Well, sorry. Go ahead. Well, you know, it was down to things. You know, particularly, I think one of the things that, that rocked me early was the way they treated women, mm. which I think we, you know, I heard you talk a little bit about this. Like women were, you know, had to wear skirts, mm. had to wear hats. You know, there was so much emphasis on modesty and their kind of clothing and the same kind of bullshit that happens in purity culture over here. It's like if the woman gives any reason for a man to like lust after her and all that kind of stuff, like that's always emphasized. Yeah. Um, so women were massively oppressed. Like, so even 
they were not allowed to speak out loud in any of the gatherings at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Sunday morning memorial meeting was like the most like sacred, like conservative time. But then you'd have like Wednesday night Bible class, which was supposed to be like more casual and relaxed and, you know, chill. Yeah. But they were still not allowed to speak out loud. So if they had a question, they had to like write it down and hand it to their husband. If their husband wasn't there, hand it to the, like the closest man. Oh <laughs> you can laugh out loud. <laughs> no, he's relating. Uh, uh, it's just like the it's flashback brutal, right? PTSD stuff. I know. <laughs> like I'm experiencing. Yeah. It's yeah. just so brutal. And, and I think to me that was weird because up until the point, I think in my teenage years, like all of my Sunday school teachers were women. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, under, I, I think part of me was like, I don't understand, so, why did we cross that line? It's so, it's such a hard thing to grasp at that age too, because you're, and it's probably one of the things that for me was a, such a strong indicator of the, like the BS meter was going off the charts there, because I'm uh-huh. like, everyone's telling me that I'm growing up in this role that is to be superior to, mm-hmm. and, and, and like I'm it's my job to correct women it's my job to lead and guide women and tell them where to go and all this stuff but and yet all of my education is coming from women because men don't have time 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 of day for me like the men in the church really do not no they don't there were a couple who at times we we had male Sunday school teachers and um one was my papa once and I think he stepped in because he felt like things were just not not (laughs) not getting done the way they should they should women are dangerous yeah (laughs) and he did it at at the age of accountability, which is a big yes. thing in our age, at, at 12, what, 12, 13, 12 years yeah. old. Yeah. Because that's when Jesus was found teaching in the temple. Yeah. Um, classic. Like that's a big, like that's a big moment. That's when we, right. when we got baptized. Um, right. Was when, it a confirmation process thing? Or it was, was it just, not, no, okay. but, but it was a, I don't know, some thing you had to say. I think there was a meeting. Yeah. There mm-hmm. was a meeting with the mm-hmm. elders beforehand. Um, so I guess there is some kind of confirmation. Did you process. sit there, like get interviewed or yeah. grilled? Yeah. It was in the back room in the library. I'm just now remembering it. Um, <laughs> and he's just misting over <laughs> the sentiment all over your eyes. It was a foggy day. <laughs> I got baptized because of my mamma. She really wanted me to. Like, right. like it was her very strong desire, and, and she communicated that to us. Mm. I can't wait for you to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my mamma. She's the best. Um, mm. You know, also you know, deeply tied to it all and, mm-hmm. and, and it's just in her, in her blood. But I think, I don't know. She also just knows how to operate out of a place of love more than most right. people do. I mm-hmm. think so came out that, that came out more strongly, but anyway, we, we just, we had so much of the, we, we did have a lot in common. We right. had the, I don't know that anything was ever written about what time we had to do things, but our, right. our Sunday service was called the Lord's supper mm-hmm. and, and it was exclusively a memorial of the, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's what was, we focused on. Yep. Only the men could, we didn't have leadership in terms of like a staff or a pastor or anything like that. So men would do this popcorn kind of thing where they'd stand up and call out a hymn or. So you didn't have paid ministers either. No one got paid. Neither. neither. Nobody got paid. We tithed and no one got paid. So that was actually one thing that was like, I mean, if you're going to do organizational, like religious gathering, Mm -hmm. um, there's parts of it that could have been could have been a cool like thing because all of the money did. I mean, we had a facility, so right. that had to be paid for. But beyond that, all the money we, we supported a lot of people out in, mm-hmm. out right. in the world. Um, again, like <clears throat> I can't say like I'm happy about that because like I don't know what those people <laughs> were doing. They're probably just perpetuating perpetuating all the the bad stuff that we were dealing with right there at, at right. home. But we, I mean, uh, once a month our Wednesday night 
Bible study, which was to be more casual, mm-hmm. but again, when you couldn't talk, <laughs> um, uh, would be devoted to reading the letters from the missionaries out in the field who we were supporting. And right. so we'd hear like this, re- it was a really like nice like connection and they would come through town and they'd talk mm. to us and we, it was, I don't know, there was a lot about it that could have been cool. Right. Um, just in the way the community tried to function, but if it, if it, if it hadn't been for the, you know, legalistic, um, right. Uh, and then the patriarchal <laughs> oppression of it all. Um, well, what's weird to me is when you kind of said about the you know, Papua not taking this elder role, yeah. I think that what went off in my head was the same kind of thing was like, no one was paid in the Christophians either. Really? Uh, this was like, they were sort of famously like really proud about that. And there were a handful, like the Christophian magazines or the nursing homes or when my dad started a, a school, there were those positions yeah. uh, that were paid, but no, there was no pastor and there was yeah. no centralized figure. The recorder was the, the main, that, that, and that was the one person who would be voted on, but he would make the announcements every Sunday oh. and he'd keep the administrative kind of stuff rolling. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, it was kind of one of these funny things where I realized later, so my grandfather, my dad's side, who was in the very church I grew up in, so my a lot of the church I was actually, we worshipped in was like literally blood relatives of mine. Yep. Uh, and, and my grandfather, who passed this last uh, Good Friday of 2018, I, I adored him and didn't realize until Enneagram came along, he was a nine. And all mm. the people I've loved my entire life have been nines. Um, and uh, my, my ex's father is actually a nine. And they tend to h- hide in that role. Like they tend to be the recorders because they don't have to preach as much because yeah. they don't want to preach and do that thing. Like, but they can, be, they can be servants, but they can also be peacemakers, but they can hide in this like very public role, which is interesting. So I like that idea, I think, of like a community being led by a nine, especially a faith community. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of the stories I found out at the funeral, which I watched across FaceTime, was, and I'd never heard this story before, was apparently there was this one moment in the church I grew up in where they had to, they come out of this huge vote. and had been months and months of, of tension, and so everything was very... Uh, because the whole thing was lay-led, all the big decisions would be in a big community meeting. So uh, that would be chaired by the recorder, and so my my pa was chairing this meeting, and it was this hot issue, and it was so split that it was 50-50, and his vote would have decided it, and he decided to not cast the vote and and say, we'll come back to this um, in the next... Even though he had apparently actually had really strong opinions about which way it should go, decided not cast his vote in order to not, like split the church yeah. down the middle um, and then apparently over the next few months met with a bunch of the key people and the outspoken people and and eventually apparently when the thing passed it passed with this massive majority and in the kind of way that he wanted mm. to go and i love that idea that's i think some, yeah really like well-balanced classic nine leadership actually. right that's right <laughs> that's that's the peacemakers yeah. you know like yeah. really like literally withholding your power a little bit to to actually kind of get a, a result that works for everybody mm-hmm. you know so um, yeah, so that, but I think for me, some of the, you know, the, the story you kind of said about your, the Papua not taking his own responsibility in the space really triggered for me this idea that, like, because I was so proud of not having leaders or not having pastors, and yet there was a lot of unspoken patriarchal yeah. kind of leadership. Like, there were very obvious leaders, like my grandfather, <laughs> you roll your eyes, I totally agree. <laughs> like, my grandfather was so revered, you know. Yeah. And because he was like the mentor of this, uh, the mentee of this one guy, you know, 
Percy Mansfield who who died, and so the, the you know like it's almost like Elijah, Elisha, like the baton had been passed to John, wow. like unofficially in this thing. So people just revered him, and I was just like, we do have this same thing, like the same problem occurs. And I think sometimes when you don't name something, like when you try to get around that. It can actually lead to unhealth, yeah. Rather than being like, there is real leadership here, and this thing really is. Oh, oh Jack! <laughs> Jack, um, Jack, hello. There's a cat yeah. in my lap. It's yeah, fine. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's a cat that thinks it's a so. Cat. Yeah, I think there's something about like I, I I have a huge huge allergy to toxic masculinity and to like authority. Like I just can't. It's still yeah. been a huge thing. I've been unpacking in therapy for months. I think there's something about. You know, something I admire about you is like you are an eight and you do lead from a different place. Mm. And I think that within all of us, there's, there's health and unhealth. And if we can kind of lead out of who we are with the healthy parts rather than, oh, Jack, you're just the, the most adorable little being he's in the really world. Cute. And, uh, he thinks he's a dog. Yeah, he's, he's broken. He's got a real identity crisis. He's just a dog of a cat. I don't want to lose this thread, yeah. though, because this is super fascinating <laughs> and important. Um, because, yes exact same mm. scenario in, in my world growing up was this unspoken man as I even even as you mentioned like Elijah and Elisha I think about the number of times that story oh yeah was the focus of right. a meeting or a sermon or a, 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 oh, yeah. a Sunday school class yeah like we I, I feel like I knew Elijah and Elisha real well <laughs> like way better than right you know like I mean we knew like Moses and Noah and all the classic mm. like characters that everyone has heard of but you know some of those prophets we really honed in on too mm-hmm. yeah and i heard those stories like maybe twice yeah really yeah yeah so not that, a big deal. that's great that's i mean that's confirmation bias for me right <laughs> but it, but i would assume i would think that in like a lot of even because i've been in a lot of evangelical churches as an adult and i and those aren't the stories that get focused on mm-hmm. we, we definitely like man it's really weird to think about but um just, just the reverence for for men, for certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I was talking about on Sunday. I, I, I talked on Sunday about some mm-hmm. of this stuff, and that's what I meant when I said that you could just. It, it never had to be. It was said out loud mm-hmm. a lot of times. Like the the patriarchy was, oh, yeah. and and the the just the the reign of of man was was explicit a lot of times. But it, it even if it hadn't been, it didn't need to be mm-hmm. because it was embodied everywhere, and. Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought again, but Karen? Did you you had people who would travel through and mm-hmm. speak, though, right? Because you have a story about asking the yeah. wrong question yeah. oh at my some God. point. Right, so I feel like there's the, a... The itinerant, like, the, there was a community... Oh, I know stories. what I was going to say yeah. now, yeah, and, and, and it does kind of tie to this. Um, it, just when you said there weren't... Oh, the point of pride thing. Sorry, I'm oh, going yeah. back like three times now. <laughs> um, the point of pride thing for us was so... So strongly around that idea of mm. yeah we don't have leadership and that's the way the church is supposed to be yeah. we're doing it better than you and um, <laughs> sorry if you hear like rustling in the microphone right now folks it's a cat's tail <laughs> it's, she's real he Jack this is Jack mm-hmm. Jack's real interested in the equipment yeah um so uh oh that that point of pride yeah and we it was it was a thing like. I would even take out into because I went to a Christian school that oh, was yeah. non-denominational, and so there was mm-hmm. a, a lot of Presbyterian kids there. Um, but just every, all, all everybody was there, and so it was the thing that I got to like feel 
superior. Yeah, I felt superior yeah. because the church I went to was doing it right. And oh, you go to a Baptist church? I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you're okay, but like, you, you're, you know, you're not doing it quite as well as you could be. Yeah. Uh, you're not as bad as a Catholic, at least. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the whore of Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> right. Did you have that theology? <laughs> the whore of Babylon yeah. theology? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Karen looked at me oh strangely God. the other day when the I was modern, like, the yeah. Catholics are the horror about the holot. Oh. And she's just like, what? How harsh. Harsh, I mean, guys. For harsh. real, yeah. My, my dad thinks Obama is in the Bible. Like, right. <laughs> like, I don't know what verse he was talking about in Revelation, but he, he's like, oh, yeah, this verse is talking about Obama. Yeah, it's like, wow. oh, cool. How cool that we're alive uh, at just the time for, for that person to be in the world. But I was, I was in Sydney when the election was happening, like election day here uh-huh. two years ago. And it was all anyone could talk about. And my dad was kind of like almost gleefully licking his lips out of the fact that Trump was going to, like, he was just like, Trump's going to win. I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. He's like, he's going to win and he's, he's going to bring about the end of the world. And it was almost like gleefully, like, mm-hmm. bringing on the whole, Trump is going to bring out Jesus. I'm like, what is wrong mm-hmm. with our theology when we're rejoicing in these fucking evil people uh-huh. getting their way so that Jesus can come back? I'm like, that's, that's yeah. some bullshit right there. It really is. Yeah. We, uh, like this whole idea the world has to get worse in order for it to get better is just fundamentally opposed to who I am, you know, yeah. which is why I'm progressive. I believe it was sl- it's a long, slow arc, long yeah. arc towards justice. Like the, it's up to us to continue like to fight that, like the opposite, the idea that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, because that's what I grew up with. It's like, yeah, the world sucks. It's getting worse every generation. Oh, yeah. I had an auntie who <laughs> made a big point about, no, I'm not recycling. <laughs> like the earth is going to burn in fire. Like let's just make it happen faster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can expedite the apocalypse, you guys. Totally. Oh. Uh, ho- yeah, oh uh, the God. whole hope deferred thing also means that you yes. prolong. You're not just deferring hope; you're prolonging suffering. Like, well, it's and- taking no responsibility for your actions. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. no way to live. That's oh not a. God. That's not a human way to live. Right. It's something else. Man, I, I remember very vividly. I read No Logo by Naomi Klein. Was that your generation? I don't know. It was kind of, I'm trying to figure out when it probably was. It was probably like turn of the century. And she was this huge poster girl for anti-globalization. And it was basically, I think No Logo was her thesis, which basically then got pulled into a a much larger book. But there's, it's a very, very dense kind of book, kind of really kind of talking um, lots of intellectual stuff. In the middle, she starts to tell stories. Like the middle of the book starts to get down to real people's stories. And one of the stories is how the Philippines were hosting a, a visit, not even by, I don't think it was even the president, but it was like the lead diplomat of the United States of America. They were hosting this big event and they were creating this massive uh, uh, what's, you know, stadium for this thing. They're going to show off the Philippines. They're going to do the best of the best. They're going to do this whole deal. And, but it was way behind like con- on the construction and there were men falling into the cement and they were like, keep going. Oh, and they were like, here's the price that we pay for this, like yeah. kind of this worship of, of American, you mm. know, globalization and commercialism. And I remember just, I was just devastated reading this book. Mm. And like, I was, I was, I kind of brought it up at a dinner with my parents um, I was just like, this is terrible. Like, I feel like as people, we should be doing something about this. Like, as people of faith, we should be talking and saying, this is like the worst thing possible. And my mom, I remember, is just like leaned back and was just like, well, we can't do anything about it. And Jesus is going to fix it all. And we just need, I'm just like, mm. I, I was enraged. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do that. I cannot sit back and be quiet yeah. and watch this shit go down. That's the hard heart that, that Jesus was talking about. Right. You know, like that. that is the 
the dark and ugly side of religion and what it can do mm -hmm. to, an, to entire communities of people who, yeah, are you kidding me? Bodies like falling into cement. Right. Yeah. 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 And to just be numb to that. Right. It's, yeah. It's just bypassing too when you can, can actually like somehow like build an idea around that that just says, oh, well, it'll get fixed later on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey heathens, are you enjoying this formidable paradigm shifting boundary pushing conversation? I certainly hope so because Matthew and I are working hard to introduce you to remarkable people and bring you rollicking conversations that have the power to make you feel less alone and more alive. If you love listening to Heathen, would you consider supporting the show? We are looking for folks willing to chip in a dollar or three or seven each month to help keep this thing going. Join us on Patreon, where in addition to the deeply satisfying knowledge that you are helping to construct solid ground for folks taking steps away from bad religion, you will also get exclusive bonus content like sex tips for repressed former fundamentalists from our resident sexpert, Bird Ward. A round of Have You Ever with our guests to see who's the most profane, or blasphemous Bible trivia with questions like, who is scripture's most notorious masturbator? I've always wondered. And which character in the Bible likes to talk out of his ass? Careful, that one's a trick question. Click the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com backslash heathen podcast to join the fam today. And thanks for supporting the godless spirituality we bring to ears each week. So there was this guy that was, um, this is funny. Well, you know what? I'm kind of at that age now where I remember people being my age and thinking they were ancient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to talk about I mean, that very much. Sad story. Yeah. You know, so this, I think this guy was probably my age, but he was like revered. He's from New Zealand and he had, you know, he came over to do this, what we call special effort which basically was a whole weekend of basically you sit around listening to sermons. Uh, and it was like all of so the... A, a retreat for evangelicals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, got it. I know the special effort. I know why you... I love that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to put in a special effort this weekend. Guys. I mean, if we were doing a special effort to clean up the harbor or something, maybe I'd be interested. <laughs> My but... brain is just like, ooh, heathen special effort. A special <laughs> effort. <laughs> Real special. <laughs> Anyway, keep going. But we'd, you know, we'd hire out like the city town hall and all the, all the churches all over Sydney would gather and do it. it was, and, and part of me, I love that. Um, in fact, I have a really weird glitter memory that I'll tell you later about that. Um, just, I don't want to tell you glitter. I know. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think we all understand why you need to tell me glitter stories. Go ahead. So, um, so Roger came over. I don't know why I should say his name, whatever. He came over to speak and he stayed at our place. So he was a family friend and we knew the family pretty well and came over to speak and he was supposed to be speaking about something, but it was around the first time that that someone had first had released the first CD in the Christophian movement and it's called Fruit of Our Lips. And it was, <laughs> it was music. It was music. And it was piano and choir. Ooh, sounds like sexy. <laughs> Not God. fruit of our loins, <laughs> fruit of our lips. Hey, <laughs> there's, there's, doesn't really matter. There's a lot of functions for things. <laughs> um, sorry. No, I like it. The it had things like... <laughs> but it did have, you know, songs like, As the deer panteth for sure, the sure. water. Like it was that, it was... Kind of, yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're talking maybe mid-90s, you know. But it was all very tame, like super, super tame. But I think, what, unbeknownst to me, because I grew up, there was a whole liberal side of the Christophians I didn't know. Unbeknownst to me, that a similar team had put out a, a, 
a CD called Shout a few years earlier, which was basically like Sister Act. <laughs> it was their thing, and they'd kind of done this, put together this whole gospel thing uh-huh. and toured Australia and whatever. So the same team had gone and done this slightly like more palatable, like more conservative thing. But at some point, Roger decided in the middle of one of his sermons to just get up on his horse and like just wrap these people over the coals, just mm. rake them in front of people publicly. I'm like, I knew some of these people, they were my friends. And I was just like, where does this guy get off? Like, he's from New Zealand, he doesn't know these people. Like, he's just judging this thing and calling it what he, what he wants to call it. So at dinner that night, you know, I was still pretty mad. And we had some friends, I can't remember who it was, but someone had come over and someone actually started to kind of compliment him around how he was like calling these people out and how like good that was. And I just lost my shit. I was just like, how dare you? You don't know these people. Like you come over here and you get asked to do something, you're just judging them. You don't know them. Like, why, why, do, you know, why do you think you should do this? So I had my little moment and then just basically got up from the table, walked out and knew I was like, you, my parents would be furious because yeah. here I am like, I guess I was probably like 17, 18, maybe at the time. You know, but but questioning one mm-hmm. of the lead guys. Yeah. So basically, I you know, did that and called up my girlfriend, and she was going away for the weekend with her family. And so I just went away. Just was like, I can't put up, I can't sit through more of this bullshit. But yeah. So wow. did that. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> I didn't do anything like that. I mean, my question was my question was actually out of genuine curiosity, right? The, the, the genuine inability to understand <laughs> the uh, paradoxes of this religion that I was being. Because um, they don't make sense. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was it was the inability of a itinerant preacher to really satisfy any 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 part of the question that was like a big. What was the question? It had to do with um, how, how did <laughs> so all of us, all of humanity, um, all of our sins. Well, even even okay. So one sin damns us to hell, right? Like, that's all it takes. So, like, you could live a perfect life except for, oops, I did this one thing, and then, and so you're damned to hell forever. Like, the the punishment for that sin is an et- eternity... Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of separation from God, and, and yes, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So... Such bullshit. Jesus takes all the sins, right, of all mm. the people who would ever believe. And I get that he's holy and, like, whatever, cool. But how, still, like, how does that transaction work? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he only spent three days... You know, dead and buried, and, and presumably, <laughs> presumably, like disconnected from well, God. I, I never thought about this he's, before. He's a higher value guy, I though, that. right? Yeah. So, like, like one Jesus, day how, for Jesus, with Jesus, is, you get bang for your buck. Value. <laughs> well, apparently, one day of Jesus is equivalent to, to a like thousand years, two hundred billion years in human time. It's like dog years versus human years. See, and that's basically the response I got back, and I was just like. <laughs> Okay, so Jesus is just better. That's how the equation works. Because Jesus is God, so if God kills God and God then goes to hell without Mm -hmm. God, and God is separated from God, it is better than if man is separated from God. When God is separated from God's self because God has to kill God, then... Right? You've if, just, if, if you just actually... convinced me to become an, <laughs> an evangelical again, Karen. You're welcome. <laughs> Up from the grave. <laughs> um, my work here is done. Yeah. That just made so much sense. I know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, I just remember him being like, wow, 
bringing out the hardballs right out right, I think right out the gate because I was the first one to ask a question. You know, no, nobody else even wanted to. Eight, nobody eight else even wanted there. to be there. I was just <laughs> no one else was going to ask a question. I got one. Um, <laughs> Matthew, two, 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 yeah. two, two, eight. Yeah. Every once in a while, every once in a while it spikes. <laughs> right. So, man. So, what, talk about. Um, sounds like maybe that was a. a pivotal moment in terms of like actually being sorry we need to pause i just realized something i've never asked him oh do you know what russian tea is i think i heard this on your podcast did you you? Your podcast? Oh, well, then that's no fun you're already tainted <laughs> but I, <laughs> <laughs> no did you know before i, I didn't hear it. Okay, no i didn't know great. before so you're you're trying to see how how, how many threads are there between these right two yeah i just want to make sure that that wasn't also. Yeah, for the record, ours was is Plymouth Brethren. That's right. what I grew up in, and right. it's, uh, I I unfortunately don't know as much history as you do about yours. I wish I I, I kind of did. I do know that there's some way back there was a, a Quaker. There was yes. tied to Quakerism. Yep. Um, but Quakerism was apparently too, <laughs> yeah, too um, progressive for for the the Brethren. And of course, it's brethren. It's not brethren, sibling, and or oh, sister. Yeah. Or, well, oh, no. to be fair, sibling and kind of sucks. <laughs> well, that's the funniest thing is Christadelphian brothers of Christ yeah, and brethren. All, it's, it's, it's so it's close. Oh my God. You know, I think it's just two parallel tracks and just right. happened to like different people started the movements and stuff, so they grew into different things. But well, yeah. I, I had my best boss I ever had was Margaret. She was at the music school that I was at for seven years before I moved here, and she was a phenomenal human and is a phenomenal human being. Best boss I ever had, an incredible human. But she was brethren, grew up brethren. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think one level, uh, you know, that was removed from me was that you would have no instruments. It was all completely yeah. a cappella, yeah. which we at least had allowed to have organ. We had a piano. You know, that so. Was, that was what was permitted. We just had the organ. When I got baptized, I was so excited because at the point, I was baptized when I was 20, because it took me seven years to, you know, eventually come back around to that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I, and he, awesome, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I only got baptized because I thought my dad was going to get onto the elder board and I was terrified about asking him again. I was like, fuck this, I need to like get this done. Yeah. Um, but so when I got baptized, I was just like, so I can put you on the organ roster. I'm like, no, I play the piano mm-hmm. and we have one there. And it was like a beat up thing, but I'm just like, it's a different instrument. I don't play organ. Yeah. You know, I play a percussion instrument. Thank you. Um, so anyway, so, but she grew up in the Brethren and she has just a ridiculous, ridiculous story. Like just... So, so sad. Yeah. Uh, and so we would often get talking till late at night after my shift was over, just you know, about all this kind of stuff. And, mm. you know, just she had tons of damage. I mean, her, her first husband was closeted gay, mm-hmm. you know, and, that, and it was just like went through that whole thing, yeah. you know. And, of course, that wasn't allowed. That wasn't yeah. supposed to be a thing. And he was supposed to like, you know. So, you know, that story is common now, oh which, is, which is so, so sad, know. you know. It's like, why can't we just let people be people? <laughs> why do we... uh, yeah, it is. It, it is. It's common. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that's a thing that, like, mm. so many people, you can, if you need a support group for that, you can find it. Yeah. And, I mean, I think about how close I could have, I mean, yep. that could so have easily been my, my path. Right. I, I um, well, we're going to, we're going to have a guy on this season who's, who's um, been in that scenario he, mm-hmm. and he and his wife uh, like have done like a ted talk about their experience and yeah mixed orientation marriage yeah right and, and 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 he you know came out super late in life and and um you know i think i came out late in life sometimes and mm-hmm. and there's still you know there's people still today like there are people who are right. coming out in their 40s and 50s or right after kids leave or whatever because it's so all-consuming that right you can live an entire life and cram that shit away 
and never face it, never deal with it. Yeah, well, I just lived in, I don't know if I told you this, but for the winter I lived in Colorado with Paula Williams, yes. who was my ex-boss's yes. father who transitioned, mm-hmm. you know, six years ago when we started that church, you know, and she was in her 60s then, Yeah, you know, I'm just like, man, like, and, and, and still at that point was still working but lost all of, mm. you know, her... Um, her network, her whole life's work just basically just wiped clean, wiped clean, which is just brutal to me. It's like, man, the risk, I think for me, when I look at that, the the risk it takes and what, what I think I've come to over the years kind of say, and I don't want any, in any way, shape or form for this to be like heteronormative mansplaining. But I think the, the, for queer folks, they're leading us in this idea of coming out and being yourself is the journey we all have to take. So it's holy. It's the most holy thing in the world for queer folks to actually to come out. And don't think that it's not the same thing for me to be me, right? I'm not coming out into myself, but I think it's the same kind of arc yes. that we actually have to be who we are. Yeah. Like life is way too short. Like yesterday at church, you know, after you spoke and there was a family there and there's a young guy, there's two brothers that there. Mm. And one, he'd just come out in May, you know, and he's a junior. And I'm like, good on you for not wasting your time. Like life is too fucking short to just like spend that is so you know that makes me happy right that the kind of thing just makes me happy yep absolutely i was like good on you you know mm-hmm. we talked for a while and he talked about kind of you had to shift schools and that kind of stuff i'm like it's worth it like it's it's like compared to the pain of not doing that yeah mm-hmm. we've heard uh you know about how you had this kind of dual way of living and you mm. saw through some of the bullshit early on when did you actually start to pull back and break like you did in that in that moment where the person the 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 main preacher guy was railing against um some Mm. of the music like i guess make actual steps and do physical things to like right pull out or just how'd you get out of there how to get out i mean i I feel like i've had a deconstruction every couple of years of some sort of sort like i think my my first one was maybe when i was 11 or 12 seeing a very boring sermon and reading through Isaiah and just being like, pretty sure the God of the Old Testament, while very confusing, was about justice and justice for the marginalized. Like, it was just, you can't read Isaiah and not get that. Yeah. And I, my, my distinct feeling was this God of justice was not present in my white middle class church. <laughs> you know? Yeah. My white middle class church was obsessed with uh, defending capital T truth. Like, we had the truth and, yes. like, everyone else doesn't have the truth and we must defend the truth, which I'm just like, why do we have to defend the truth? Like, if the truth is the truth, then why is it my job to defend? Yeah. Like, why surely, is it, why is it so vulnerable? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Why is it fragile. Yeah. You know, um, that that was a huge question for me for a long time, which was answered by Love Wins. You know, when that mm. came out, Rob Bell essentially, I think, just kind of saved me mm. uh, because he spoke the language of the Old Testament, which my church did. Right. Yeah. He's, he kind of was very Eastern in his philosophy. Totally. And yet he was like, I mean. I understand why people actually were freaked out about Love Wins because I read the bibliography and that, that I started reading, reading what he, who he was reading and that led me to, to a whole bunch of alcoholic Franciscans and, and Universalists and that's, you know, that's Uh-oh. kind of... <laughs> Talk about your slippery slopes. <laughs> yeah. I, well, it was that and also like a sermon that Rob gave years ago about the power of words, which we all know how, well, we, I say we in this room because you know how much words are important to me as a songwriter. Um, but he did this sermon on the power of words and basically kind of was talking about the beauty of how they could shift the world. And he said, 
like for instance this quote he's like god is not your mother-in-law coming to see whether her wedding china is chipped god is your funny old uncle with a bottle of wine under one arm and a salami under the other and it'd be a shame to miss out on all the fun and i was like hell yes <laughs> like it just it was an instant like rewiring of yeah. like the image of the divine right as like you know cosmic the debt collector, yeah, the yeah. enforcer, the the patriarchal judge sitting upstairs, just waiting for you to fuck up so it can yeah. kill you. To to be like, you know, the universal <clears throat> generosity, you know, the the overflow of like fun and delight and love and you know, a, uh, all that kind of stuff that I think had always been kind of there for me. Uh, I don't know why this is coming up. There's a good story, so I'll tell it anyway. But there was a pastor in Perth, Australia, who. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed a few years ago from a brain tumor, but I heard him preach at the Hillsong Conference, and um, it was the first time I ever heard anyone swear on stage. Yeah. <laughs> it was this guy, and he was this pint-sized dude. This, I mean, he had to be an Enneagram 4 because he was just a firecracker. <laughs> um, but he, he had a book about interesting Christians he's met, and it was he had all these riffs about how like creation is just really stupid. Like Anyone who actually like had to, something to do with divine... Uh, making things had to have some sense of humor because like there's some weird shit that exists on the planet for no other reason so it's like there's a there's a sea anemone that basically walks around the ocean floor looking for the perfect rock to like attach to when it finds the perfect rock it like puts out its tentacles attaches itself and then eats its brain and he's like sounds like a lot of Christians I know I found the rock that is Jesus I don't have to think anymore I love that. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> and this is what he was saying out loud on the Hillsong Conference stage. And I was like, I love this guy. Who is this dude? Uh, <laughs> that really exists? <laughs> I'm sorry. My mind's a little blown. Eaten. Eaten. It, it, just, it just like, no, I no longer need a brain because right? now I have right. I'm the perfect I have rock. I have rock. Brain has have served rock. its purpose. Now. My brain has found the thing. Holy you know, shit. No longer need brain. That's the metaphor of the ages right, right? there, baby. <laughs> Oh, uh, I love it. Just take that and apply it to everything. Any hive mind context. Yeah. Everything. We're just good to go. Uh, so good. I just want this is so stupid and out of context. <laughs> Last night I just watched it. Chris and I <laughs> My fiance and I are rewatching um Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but like oh my God. not the cool Netflix one that's right, out the now. Original like the original, original with Melissa, Melissa Joan Hart. Hart. Uh-huh. <laughs> because we started watching the, the Netflix one and Chris is very sensitive and doesn't like super scary dark stuff right he's a four and um and so i was like well let's let's like let's simultaneously watch the melissa joan hart version and it'll like balance out and whatever it just it has we've i watched the chilling sabrina and, and now we he and i just watched the um the old one but anyway this episode was about a cult it was it mm-hmm. was literally about she's in college at this point and one of her roommates i think joins a cult unwittingly like just finds a guy who's you know super charismatic and um and sabrina of course has to like use her witch powers to get him out of the cult and <laughs> why where, where where was i going with this oh the the brain the the yeah this doesn't relate <laughs> this story doesn't relate. no it's good it's, story, it's just this it's is just, actually just it's just funny story. that like in in life and in popular culture and everything like that this is we're very aware of the fact that we surrender our mm-hmm. autonomy and our right our ability to think for ourselves and critical thinking right reason all of it it's so quickly can right. can just we're so fast to surrender right. these things if we get some kind of 
security, some kind of thing that makes us feel a little safe. Right. Which rock. I think I have rock. I have rock. Yeah. Guys, I'm sorry that my coffee pot is the loudest <laughs> fucking coffee pot in the history <laughs> of coffee pots, <laughs> but it's really necessary. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, I owe you all coffee for having to listen to that sound. Right, right. Well, yeah, several kind of layers of deconstruction for years. Um, I think that the latest one for me is around how binary life has been. Mm. I think in faith communities, I think how we have set up oppositional forces like good and evil and black and white and heaven and hell and, and we live as if those things are real. Mm. I think this is one of these things, like I'm a huge Buffy Angel fan. And uh, this, bear with me for a second. Have you seen Spaced, my, by my, the way? My brother is on the edge of his seat right now. <laughs> as he's listening to this. Have you seen Spaced? Yes. Spaced, no. It's, uh, it's a kind of a TV show that was before all of the Shaun of the Dead no. series, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so good. There's this great moment where he comes in and he's kneeling. This is, I can't remember their names, but there's Nick and whatever, it doesn't matter. But the, the two guys who, who wrote Shaun the Dead are also part of this TV series. Oh, yeah. He comes in and he sits down and he's in his room and he's on his knees and he's praying and the camera slowly pans up and it's just a poster of Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> and it started this whole like thing with, like, what would Buffy do? <laughs> there was all these like, theologians who were just doing like, kind of series around Buffy and kind of, it's kind of its whole deal. But for me, as much as I love Buffy, I felt like Buffy was kind of the early stage of people's deconstruction where the world is still monsters, right? Mm-hmm. Still, the world is still kind of black and white. And whilst there's obviously like a lot of nuance there with Spike and whatever, that for me when Angel came out, I loved Angel because there's this scene where, well, this, the whole, whole point of Angel is he's fighting this terrible law firm called Wolf Ram and Hart, which is the evil from the foundation of the world, right? <laughs> and they defeat the, the CEO, they defeat the lead guy. And by the end of the season, they basically, like, this guy walks up to him and, and like, hands him this, like, paper, and, 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 or I think papers or whatever, and Angel's like, what's this? And he's like, well, you've inherited the company. Like, you defeated the big guy, so now you run Wolfram and Hart. So now he's running the law firm. <laughs> and so the next series is all about how, like, he, Angel's the CEO of this law firm he kind of was trying to take down. But they're still up to all this shady shit, so now he's on the inside. Now he has to figure out how to deconstruct this thing. Mm. Um, and so Spike comes out as a crossover from Buffy. Spike crosses over into Angel for this for this episode, and he's there standing there in the like the foyer of this huge law firm, which is all very like fancy. And Spike's like, "Dude, you sold out!" And he's like, "No, no, we're gonna do so much good from the inside." And like literally, this guy in a red vinyl costume with horns and like a tail walks up to Angel is like racquetball on Tuesday yeah man bro I'll see you there like a total nod to like you're working with the devil like um, and I just love for me Angel is all about that life is so grey like once you get out of high school and once you get into the real world into adulthood like there's just no such thing as black and white it just doesn't exist Um, the world is so so grey and you have to figure out how to take like little you know the good with the bad and in between so that's been the biggest thing I've been wrestling with um, for the last few years and trying to figure out what that looks like in my life. And so I was in Texas in September of 2018, um, working at a church there as an artist in residence, and they had me live on these two ranches. 
for for about a month, and they were within. F- there was no human within five miles of me. So I went from New York City, a city of you know ten millionish people, <laughs> to a ranch in in Jacksboro, Texas, which is an hour and a half northwest of Fort Worth, okay. in a town of four and a half thousand people, of which one thousand of them are incarcerated. There's the biggest women's prison in Texas, is there in Jacksboro, Texas. They have to be counted for the census. So you're talking right. a town of three and a half thousand people. I'm living on this ranch. Uh, and I'm reading this book by Barbara Brown Taylor called Learning to Walk in the Dark, which I would recommend highly. She's such a brilliant writer. But a lot of what she was doing in that book was um, she, these th- things she called experiments with darkness that we've basically kind of, in, in Christianity and faith, we've like elevated light, right? Like light is the best thing. Like she talked about, um, I don't know what the phrase that she uses, but basically like sun sickness, that we're so obsessed with walking in the light mm-hmm. that we've kind of pushed away any darkness. So yeah. anything related to that, so emotional darkness, things like anger, mm-hmm. like any of the negative emotions, we don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And so we push them and demonize them. Only kind of the, the good things. Think on things that are pure and wholesome. And you know, uh, and so we haven't dealt with our darkness. And But she was actually doing like literal uh, experiments in darkness. So she would spend a whole night, uh, you know, a hut in the middle of nowhere, just dealing with her fear of the dark. She went like deep caving, you know, like going through like tiny holes to kind of deal with these things. And this like totally captured my imagination because what I was dealing with at the time as my marriage was breaking apart was realizing that my upbringing and my church around you know, purity culture and sex had completely broken me. Yeah. Like I just was so utterly broken. And so I was inspired by her kind of dark and light uh, thing to start my own experiments around being naked and unashamed. Because I was just like, I need to deal with my body issues. Yeah. <laughs> like, here I am five miles from anywhere. I can walk around naked <laughs> and no one's going to give a shit, but it's about me. Right. It's not about me kind of doing this in front of people, but me actually trying to kind of confront my own demons. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I would do. Often we'd just sit on the porch, you know, just naked on a, this is maybe way TMI for a podcast. No, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, not, was, not, not this all those, podcast. All those, all those people who do know me are just Did like, you wow. where you were? <laughs> We've literally done entire, like, two-hour episodes just around being naked. Yeah. Just so. just sitting around in Texas on a por- on a covered porch, because, you know, obviously there's insects flying everywhere. <laughs> on a covered porch, just naked, eating fried chicken and drinking beer. That sounds like heaven. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay. I'll give you Suzanne's. Now we can take an artist yeah. in residency out I mean, there. Do, I mean, do a heathen artist in residence. Because out here, all we have is we don't have five miles that aren't occupied by human beings. So we have right. to go to Black Speech if we want right. to be naked. And you're in right. front of other people there. Yeah. So. Right. Which is an experiment. Was its own An experience thing in and of itself, which we've actually talked about but not aired. That was on an unaired episode mm. that we talked about Black Speech and that whole. Did we? Which, yeah. Which unaired episode? The. Well. <laughs> The one we can't talk about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't know what we're talking about. Um, this is how bad my memory is. Um, anyway. But yeah, we did, a, we did a whole thing about talking about like the context and how in context that's a very different experience. Oh, right. I know what you're talking but, about now. Okay. Yeah, I, just, I just caught up. Um, <laughs> Good. And, um, but yeah. So, yeah. I mean, now we've got a new idea for the heathen holiday. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> Heathen holiday? Naked on a Texas ranch. (laughs) (laughs) They have a nude ranch in Texas, kids. Howdy, heathens. Right. That's great. Oh, I love that. Naked and unashamed, the retreat. The heathen heathen retreat. 
cut. See, now I'm just going to get back to my parents that we're all nudists now. And it's just going to go well. We're worried about your daughter. <laughs> um, I'm sure that's what all of your parents' friends sound like. I, <laughs> that's, that's the voice I just assigned they're to from them. Northern California, oh now Oregon. <laughs> they sound like they're in Northwest Arkansas. Yep. Naturally. Um, anyway, so, so you're naked so and unashamed. In naked and unashamed, yeah. And I think I was confronting a lot of those demons, right? And and um, and so one night, as I was sitting there on the on the corner, just sipping on my beer and you know my fried chicken. What started coming to me was what I was ultimately trying to do, I think, was learn some intimacy with myself. Yeah, wow. Like that what I had done for for years and years was just not only through the layering of being someone or trying to be someone else through Enneagram 2 land, mm. but literally just hiding. You know, and, and for me as a performer, right, I, I spent most of my life on stage, but hiding in plain sight mm. and hiding from myself too with, you know, like, as it turns out, as Enneagram threes, we just love to project and we just love to, you know, hey, Karen, this is where you should talk because, <laughs> you know, she's the best at talking about this stuff. Like, just constantly projecting some form of ourselves. <laughs> she leans in. <laughs> Hiding in plain sight? That's what we're talking about? Yeah. Sorry, I went to get the coffee that I was brewing because it felt really necessary. Um, yeah, image projectors, that's what we do. That's our mm -hmm. safety because if you are you are able to bring a false self to the table, then your real self is not at risk, whether or not that false self is, is liked or accepted, um, which, of course, you want it to be. You are striving to be liked right. and accepted, but your real self is still not threatened wow. as much because it's the image that is so. There's this kind of core belief that your real self is unlovable Yep. Uh, that's buried underneath there, so you project this false self. And you can lose, for me... I'm a, an adept image projector, and so I can lose my real self for years of my life and uh, just lose myself into the right story. So projecting the image of the girl who belongs in the story that I think I should tell at any given mm. point. Um, and then your real self is just kind of hidden under there, and eventually she'll be like, hello. <laughs> Still here. Hello. And I'm like, oh, you can come out. So, yeah, that, that image projecting, like mm. it, the hiding in plain sight is a very real very real phenomenon right and you can and you can i think you can go so far into image projecting that you fool yourself mm -hmm. too where you believe that the image is your authentic yeah. self until like there's a catalyst or something that disrupts mm -hmm. that and you go oh, hey <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile under this yeah. i am a person you can fool some people sometimes but you can't fool everybody all right. the time yeah words of the great bob Marley. You can't, you can't fool yourself either, though, to me. And Not we've talked forever. about this as well. I think that, that eventually the real you is going to slip out, and it's going to slip out in some sort of way that I think is, in my, in my case, a lot of times it's slipped out pretty unhealthy ways. It's usually exactly. a pretty dark Like, way. you know, like I've broken up bands over yeah. my own crises. I've pushed friends out of my life that yeah. were, you know. Uh, I, I think I've deliberately, one of the things I've figured out in therapy is I deliberately have sought dramatic people as friends and, and actually, instead of some of the steady people in my life who actually been really good friends and supporters, I've just focused on the naughty kids in the class because they're the loudest yeah. and they look like really fun. They're generally narcissistic, you know, because that's what happens to really insecure people as you, yeah. <laughs> it's what's happening to America right now. <laughs> We're so insecure. We just put a narcissist right at the top and they can save us. Give us a king, they say. Um, and so I think that kind of tendency to try and look for some sort of savior thing can come out of that. That's what's come out for me a lot of times. But then I think it also just comes out in awful ways, you know. Mm -hmm. So, 
yeah, that's definitely what, what I think I was wrestling with a lot, you know, in the darkness of Texas mm. was just being alone. Yeah. Like just was, I'm a huge extrovert, mm. <laughs> lived most of my life in the public eye, you know, whether in the cult or, you know, like starting a church in New York or being on stage, like I just, just could be somebody else, you know? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, kind of, I think for me, what fell out when I was sitting there <clears throat> in Texas and wrestling with this and reading this book that was just destroying me. I'd get up every morning and read a chapter and just cry for an hour was what fell out in response to that. It comes across as kind of this, you know, soft porn lullaby, like this kind of, this idea, this invitation to come to bed. But I don't think it is necessarily about sex as much about intimacy, you know, and it was about, for me, trying to make this war of the darkness and the loneliness and kind of the the isolation that you kind of find yourself in, that you just want someone to understand, you know, that you actually want someone to see the real you, which I think is true, you know, when we're trying to find, you know, some, you know, community, trying to find our place in the world, trying to find a partner, is just find someone who can actually, like, reflect back to you the goodness that is there instead of reflecting back to you the brokenness. Um, so that's kind of, that's what this song, Come to Bed My Darling, which is going to come out soon or around the time whenever you guys release this podcast, I'm sure it might be out in the world, but is about that kind of idea that that you you can get what you want by actually being yourself and asking for it, not by hiding, not by like pushing into the darkness, not by trying to manipulate somebody into getting that to you. You can just kind of be yourself, naked and unashamed, and ask for it. Come to bed, my darling The night is much too loud The crickets croak and the owls hoot And the hungry coyotes howl My darling Our porch lights pierce the night Confuse the eyes built for darkness And disturb all the bats in flight My darling Embrace these tired bones I'd rather not drift off to deep sleep In these cold sheets alone So come to bed, my darling 
Hold your worries next to mine Let go your woes into the waves Oh, passion's pulling ties I feel like it's such a radical idea for so many of us that you can be yourself and be loved. Mm-hmm. Because we're so, it's so deeply embedded in us that ourselves are innately dark or innately the evil version of dark. Right. The, um, so you are taught, you know, the whole, the, the foundation of Christianity is that you are fundamentally unlovable and yep. intolerable and then redeemed from that, yeah. loved anyway. Yeah. Loved anyway. In spite. In spite. In spite. Right. And and, and, so, and thanks to right. yes, the work. It's still a workspaced thing. Right. It's yep. just not your work. And aren't you lucky? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag blessed that yeah. you had a savior. But just that very simple idea of I can be myself and be loved. Mm-hmm. I love the, I mean, okay, okay, so for folks who are keeping track, because one of the things we're trying to do with Heathen a lot more moving forward is not just... Uh, stew in our our <laughs> our stories, our right. you know where we come from and everything, but also like how did we make it out? Mm. Right. How mm-hmm. I got over. Um, how I got over. How I got over. <laughs> how I got over. Uh, yeah, Katrina. Oh, uh, we don't need to talk about that on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a great gospel song, you guys, called "How I Got Over." It's by Mahalia well, the, Jackson. The version we right. we we looked at was by Mahalia Jackson. Mm. Oh, it's such so a beautiful good. song. We still had to rewrite a little bit of it to, to feel, mm-hmm. I don't know, palatable for where we're at. But anyway, um, that's right. what we're trying to do here right. more and more is like... Now what? Now what? Where, right. where, how, how, am I, how do I get whole again? How do I get healthy? How right. do I like, move around in the world and not feel mm-hmm. um, the oppression uh, and the weight of what I'm coming out of? Right. So, for those keeping track, mm-hmm. you... Go to Texas and get naked on a porch. <laughs> step one. It sounds step so one. step one. <laughs> you, deal with, you deal with darkness. Ben Grace's rules you for reconstruction. Yeah. No, I just, I, I, I mean, these are yeah. uh, obviously encapsulating in a funny way, but like right. this is such good. These are, these are good processes and practices right. that people can undertake. And, the, and, and what I'm really connecting to in your story too is the the connection to body mm-hmm. and that I mean, oh my god how much of it we carry right in our bones in the physicality of what you know moves us around in the world yep. um and how the body remembers things that the mind can forget you know or oh the maybe not the, that the mind can forget but that the mind can at, at, when it needs to really um uh compartmentalize and mm-hmm. then and then cork and put away right but the body is right. not as proficient no. at those things. Right. Um, and so ultimately, if we're not feeling ourselves, right. I mean, the body's going to do some, some damage. Right. Or it will, it will, I mean, it will have a damage done to it. Yep. Um, yeah. Man, this is a huge part of my story. Yeah. You just touched right on the thing that I think has been huge for me. Is like, have you seen the Sir Ken Robinson TED Talk from years ago? I don't think so. Um, he, it was kind of in the early 2000s, I think. And he went back and did another one. There's a British guy who basically came out and did this massive TED Talk that basically said that with education, what we've done in the West is we gradually educate people from the waist up and then from the shoulders up and then from the head up and then slightly to one side, mm. basically saying that education has become right-brained. 
um, that we've only been about knowledge and we've only been about thought process. Like, you know, at some point we stop teaching kids to dance and to move, right? They have to yeah. sit still quietly in a chair oh my God, and, yeah. and, and kind of put the formulas in their mind. And church is no fucking different. Like, it's just basically turn up, sit in a chair, be quiet, mm-hmm. stand up when you're told and mm-hmm. when you're allowed to, and then just take in ideas and thoughts. Mm. This idea, which, you know, which appealed to me. I'm a words guy, right? Like, in the beginning was the word, like this idea, the logos, because this whole idea, the, the Christophians loved the word logos. They had a magazine called Logos. <laughs> oh, so it was nice. just the, that very much appealed to me as a words person. But I think it's, it is damaging because I feel like what happened to the church in the f- first century is the same thing. Like this whole Gnostic idea that the body and the mind are separate mm. just fucked up the church. And we've never recovered. Yeah. That, uh, that's why I love the sexisodes. Huge heathen, <laughs> heathen fan. Because I'm just like, I think that we've forgot how to do body and sex right. Yeah. You know, that, became, that, that Christianity became disembodied. Became just about what you think, believe, assent to. Yes. Instead of actually kind of a lived experience in the world. So that's what I've been trying to do, I think, is trying to put things in my body. It also happened to be, for me, what happened was several years ago after lots and lots of trauma, I had started having panic attacks. So like literally my body was bringing up trauma yeah. that uh, I had no idea what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so that, that, I had to like do some of that work because I didn't know how else to survive. Yeah. Um, and that yet led me into yoga and to meditation, mindfulness, and, yeah. you know, not just, I mean, I wasn't 25 anymore, so I had to figure out, you know, not to drink copious amounts of coffee or copious amounts of alcohol and yeah. actually look after myself because yeah. I only have one body walking around the world. So I think for me, I'm passionate about this. I think that the, the, the church needs to be more embodied in the way it just is set up in the world. Um, so that was a lot of my practice in Texas too, was just getting back to that not just figuring out kind of nakedness as a practice but figuring out yoga figuring out kind of health running um and that's and where else where else were kind of there's another response to that i was thinking about it'll come back to me Mm. that's so good yeah um it also gives me a little bit of awareness around why especially initially when i set out to do try my hand at the whole mindfulness meditation thing, I, I just felt like, I was like, what am I, what am I, what, what am I actually doing? What ben, actual benefit is there in this? Because it doesn't feel like I'm learning anything. Right. Right? I, like, I'm using the, uh, the 10% mm-hmm. Happier app, and there's like a two-minute little talk before each one. And, it, and it's never, it's never like a, a it's, I can't, it's never something I could take notes on, you know? Yes. And be like, oh, this is the thing I learned from this. Yeah. You can't um, wipe it into your right, right margin. You know, you can't like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not helping my, my, my brain yeah. <laughs> and my head. It, it's exclusively there for body. But I, it, I've, my whole life, it's like, well, the body doesn't... It's mm. not where I learn. Like, that's... Right. I mean, of course it is. Right. <laughs> of course the body is where you learn. Like, you learn how to move your, your hand to, to, to write to compose sentences, you know, like, right. like uh, you learn as a baby, you learn how to move something to your mouth to mm-hmm. feed you. Like your, your body yep. has to know how to do that to stay alive. Of course your body learns things, but I never, I, I just never thought it did. Right. I, I was never aware of the fact that it did and it wasn't part of my education. And so it, it felt super weird for a long time. When I first started meditation, I was like, I don't know what mm-hmm. good this could possibly do me right. until my body started like 
really responding and talking mm-hmm. back and being like, oh, this one's good. Like, I needed this. Right. And, and I'm going to, like, show you by, like, bringing in some emotion into this or I'm going to show right. you by, like, movement, like, whatever kind of, you right. know, like, responses. Um, yeah, body is so vital and important and we've just written mm-hmm. it off as the thing that gets us from A to B. Right. Right. Thank, thanks for carrying my brain around so my brain can do its work. That's right. Yeah. The brain's the highest thing. Yeah. I love your story. You talk about your grandfather, even though it's obviously like problematic when he kind of gets saved, mm-hmm. how he changed. Oh, yeah. You want to tell that story? Yeah, completely. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, for him, I think that was... <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's just funny how you unlock these things and then you have different, just a different experience before and after. Like, these marked before and afters. With my grandfather, it was just that he was a very... Um, He's very stoic and very masculine and very, you know, non-emotional and all of these things is very our society's stereotype of masculinity. And then found Jesus, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, more or less. But I think his finding Jesus was really more just coming to terms with the softness in him. And I think it was the church was the vehicle for that for him. Yeah. But I'm not sure how much the story had to do with it as as much as like the community, you know, it was the, the community and the, the safe place to be soft. But mm. he overnight went from being a, a person who I'd never seen express emotion to someone who would cry and tell me how much he loved me and uh, would tear up at the drop of a hat and just everything was just right on the surface and all of those emotions were suddenly there and accessible to him. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's true of me too. When I go into image projector mode, part of that is divorcing my body. Mm-hmm. Um, And to the point where that's how I often am sort of found out in my image projection is my body will begin to rebel. Um, Mine is is different. It hasn't manifested as panic attacks so much as I will just find myself running up a hill. And I'm not a runner. (laughs) But I will just be like, (laughs) there will be a moment of intense emotional something and I will just find myself having wandered off somewhere (laughs) because my body has just gone, we must move. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Literally prone to wander. And I'm like, what is happening? And it's like this, like my body is the first because I am very physically oriented. I'm a touch love language kid. I'm a kinetic learner. I'm a mover. Mm -hmm. I'm a doer. And, um, but so that's often my coming back into myself begins with my body just being like, Oh, we must now do a thing. But it also works in reverse where I can get locked in that, where if I don't, I, my brain can be very sure that something is safe and good and okay. And my body has a memory of trauma or has a, a memory of a past something. And I, I will be like, I know this is silly, and I'm still going to cry about it for the next mm-hmm. hour. And I'm still just yeah. stuck in this place where, like, my body is just going through this thing. Even though mentally I can be like, I've moved past this. I know mm. what this is. My body is still like, oh, I'm still processing. Yeah. Thanks, though. Um, so it's interesting. I think the goal, the goal for so many of us coming out of this is just integration. The word my therapist used to use over and over again is just mm-hmm. integrating these different pieces. Yeah. Um, and that's long work, especially when you've been dealing with them separately for a long time, yeah. getting everything to function just as an entire system right? so that you have your emotion, you have your physical body, you have your spiritual whatever sense yeah, yeah. of how of, of what matters in that because there's right. there's a hierarchy in, in, in spirituality as well, like the things that you, you place value on and that, mm-hmm. that move 
your body forward and move your mind forward. It, it really is. It's a like, I've, I've, I've been thinking about it in terms of communication between my mind and body lately yep. as I've been sitting there. Meditation's hard. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's wow. like, it's, 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 it's a difficult practice for me. And, yep. and I, and I, when I realize why it's usually because like, I'm not talking, one's not talking Blockage. to the other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yep. And, um, just, I, I, well, I mean, yeah, that, that, just that. Yeah. Just yeah. that I, I want my, my parts to talk to each other better because that's what I haven't let them do. Right. Live and move and have their being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, my therapist, one of the things that she uncovered <clears throat> for me recently was realizing that, that I can actually solve everything with my mind. I was trying to do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I could like, I could meet somebody, actually have a genuine connection, but then self-sabotage it by like basically like writing the whole narrative of the relationship into where it's going to eventually like end because <laughs> I see all their stuff, yeah. and 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 basically then just like throw the whole thing away. Yeah. And and instead of you know and when oftentimes as I was talking about things in therapy, she would stop me and she was like, "Well, you just justified all of the ways that you understood the thing that you just said. What did it make you feel?" And every single time it would just break me. Like mm-hmm. it would just. And one of, one of the things I realized is that. Over the last, you know, couple of years of my life, what I've actually started re- doing is, is realizing that I was a super emotional kid as a teenager. I just felt all of the things all of the time. And I'm back to that place. I'm back to, like, losing my shit over, like, yeah. a really warm and fuzzy ad. <laughs> yes. I'm back to, like, laughing more than I've ever laughed before. Uh-huh. So I think that kind of journey back to you, back to who you are mm-hmm. as, a, as a child is the thing, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, and that's just, I, th- I think this is, you know, I mean, I, I hate to disagree with Kate, I don't disagree with her. What she said just about childlike kind of that you have to come become a child. But I think part of that is coming back to that core part of who you are without all the layering of the shit on top of it. Yeah. Because I think at some point we we get a script, right? At some point we learn some sort of script and then we just do that until we kinda of learn a new one. And a lot of it is trying to understand the script we're actually just playing off is just old. Mm-hmm. And it was probably formed kind of young. Yeah, but it wasn't. It's not an innate thing. It's just something that was built on top of a wound, or built on top of, you know, which is that whole enneagram conversation. Is like that may not be entirely who you are. Like your enneagram number doesn't define you. Yes. it was just a story that happened and a wound that was created there, mm. that we've then been playing with. Once we kind of discover wholeness in that, the idea is as the enneagram that we kind of become much more holistic. Mm-hmm. That we actually become much more healthy parts of all of those characteristics. Um, once we can see where our bullshit kind of like leads yes. us down. So, yeah, I think the whole mind-body thing is huge, absolutely massive. And I think we need to kind of understand that more as spirituality and get away from just saying creeds and living words. As much as I'm a words person all the way through, I'm never going to give up on those. But, yeah. like, but I think embodying them, like where, they la- where they land in you and letting that be the thing, you know. So. I loved when we did, we had Tess come, you guys remember Tess, she's the power animal journey shamanic practitioner that was here last season, and we had her come, and um, she came to Sojourn Grace and mm. did a drum meditation for our our whole little, what are we calling it, a resistance collective, <laughs> our crew, our church, yeah. um, and she had us do this visualization of uh we were doing this whole thing oriented around stars as mm-hmm. part of an epiphany thing. And um, one of the things that I loved that she did is she had us locate like where the compass is 
in your body, like mm. when you feel connected to the direction that you're moving in, or when you feel that sort of internal in- intuitive pull, which I don't think most of us who grow up in religious context are taught to recognize. We're taught to look for the moving of the Holy Spirit, but like you know, the body is not where that comes from. Yeah. Mm. Um, which, don't get me started on that. But uh, <laughs> indwelling kids, how does it work? I don't know. Where would it come from? Um, so, <laughs> but I loved that she asked us to identify where we felt it and to put your hand over that place. So when you feel that connection, when you feel that internal confirmation, when whatever that is in your body says, I am moving in the right direction, where do you feel that and put your hand over it? And something in mm. that was so just, I don't think anyone had asked me to identify where intuition lived in my body before then. And so just that whole, like, think about where it is and put your hand on it. And I was like, oh, like, this has a location. Mm -hmm. And, like, I can look for it. Like, not only do I have to, I'm not at the mercy of waiting for intuition. Like, I can check in. I can put my hand here. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to scream as loudly to get your attention if you know where to go find it. Right. And I can I can look for it and listen mm. and like check like oh how do I feel, is this right. sending that gut thing going oh. for me? And I just thought that was so lovely, and and that's the kind of thing though those little pieces just these tiny little things for those of us who have divided and who have had that separation between body and mind like those mm-hmm. little tools where you can then mentally go oh I can ask my hand to do a thing (laughs) and like that's so helpful for me because it just that circle gets that that circle going between the two communication between your body and mind heaven forbid my body and mind should communicate with each other and create a feedback loop Mm -hmm. in which we can all just have a conversation and hang out what a thought I love this so much yeah. yeah the biggest thing for me with the panic attacks is my experience of that is that I feel like I'm outside my body entirely like my judgmental piece becomes so marked that I, I feel like I'm standing outside myself looking and judging myself and saying, get your shit together. And, and then I actually have no control over my mind whatsoever. So one of the things I realized when I first had my, uh, one of my major panic attacks, I'm lying on a, an airport, on the, on the floor of an airport in Indianapolis with my entire staff, about to get on a, on a plane back to New York, and I'm just like melting down. And I was like, do something to try and like familiarize yourself, like to place yourself. And I was using my mind still. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, recite something you know, like the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23, things you've been saying since you were a kid. Couldn't do it. Mm. Like literally could not do it. And, it. and which was traumatic in the moment because I thought I was losing my mind. But this was the only, the only thing for me was starting to realize mindfulness. What can I smell? What can I hear? What can I touch? And just to really bring back into those senses, to like literally center myself in my lived experience. Because my mind was haywire. My mind was out of control. And so that's been a huge journey, I think, to realize that, that this is this, use, this is useful, this thing we're living in. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> oh. There are five senses, <laughs> and none of them are necessarily linked to your mind. They trigger things in your mind, yeah. but, that's, but that's not, you know, you still have, you're still living in those experiences yes. every, all the time. Um, and I, I have just lived with denial. I often get off stage after something and be just like, why am I limping down the stairs? Like, mm-hmm. I, I pulled a muscle somewhere, and, but I've been so disembodied from that experience. Um, so I think the more we can do that, like mm. get our hands on our bodies somewhere and, yeah. you know, which ultimately, finally, back to our, you know, Catholic thing, <laughs> the Catholics were better at this mm. than we were. You know, yeah. you walk in, it smelt like something. It smelled totally. like incense. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the sign of the cross, which is on your body. There's this, 
like lived practice of where you can feel the prayer. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that kind of stuff is actually pretty valuable. Like I'm very, you know, I think so much of the Ignatian spirituality is really literally about your body yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. So mm. I'm a big fan of that. I think we should probably be getting back to... <laughs> Redemption for the Catholics. Back to the whores. <laughs> Back to the whore family. Catholics, you could totally hang out with me. I don't have any problem with you whatsoever. I think you're great. No, I'm a huge fan. Oh but God, did they have so... Russian tea? That is my question. <laughs> I do not know. Because that is my experience of church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Amazing. Well, I kind of want to ask you, like, in the vein of this whole what now and moving forward thing, like, you've been through kind of this rough bit <laughs> right what like coming out of that and being in the being in the place you are now mm-hmm. what are you looking forward to building wise from here i don't I'm not sure i entirely know i think but i think one of the things i think there's a piece about certainty mm. right that we, we grew up with certain you know certain things you know and and a lot of those things when you actually start to deconstruct them they don't they don't feel certain either um, and so I think to a certain degree, I'm kind of like, I'm happy to Jesus to not take the wheel or me not take the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I think there's something about just like living a little more openly that I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, just there's so much control. I think that we're taught as faith people, like that there's, there's certain things that you can and can't, you know, you, that you can control. And I just think a lot of that is bullshit. Yeah. Um, and so I think trying to kind of live more openly um, I, I think for me, I'm also interested in, I've spent so much of my life mining like the Christianity thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think like so many of the practices I'm discovering are more Eastern. Right. And I, and I think there's something about that idea of like that Christianity was an Eastern religion at some point, that there's something about practices that, that Jesus would do, mm-hmm. you know, that we don't think about, um, uh, that I think is fascinating to me. Um, I don't really, I don't really know, honestly. I mean, those were good answers for not yeah. knowing. <laughs> I don't really have the answers, which I guess is part of the point. Yeah. Uh, and I think I like that. I like the fact that all of a sudden, having been the kid who's had my answers all my life, mm-hmm. there's something about like, I don't, I just don't know. And I love that. I love hanging out with people who don't know either. I think that's kind of brilliant. I think there's a space, there's, there's a space of like in between the, the, the question and the answer, which is fascinating to me. Uh, and I think that's where, like, I've got back to poetry in the last, like, year of my life, which is how we found each other on Instagram. Uh, and I think for me, words is, like, you can't argue with poetry, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not something you just kind of, well, that, <laughs> that doesn't really work. <laughs> I mean, people try. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's, it's not a logical thing. Like, you know, when Mariel ever passed, you know, over a month ago... Mm. I was just devastated because I was just like, I feel like a great prophet passed. Yeah. Because you just can't argue with her words. Like there's something about the ephemeral nature of, of, of things like that that I think that I'm more interested in as, like I, I think I said to this to you the other day, I'm just like, I hate the fact that in the Bible it says, don't add onto these words. Yeah. I hate that so much. Because yeah. I'm like, I still think there are beautiful things being written that are just as true and just as, you know, I mean, even just pop songs. Let's just talk about that yep. for a second. Like, there are things that are resonating with large numbers of people that, that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if you say they're not true and they're not part of the thing, then I think, like, we're denying the fact that the, the divine is still weaving some story through the whole thing and still up to beauty in the world. Mm-hmm.
one of the things. So I've been working on this thing for the last year, writing a song, like trying to release a song a month, which is, I didn't realize how ambitious that was. <laughs> like doing a podcast, I guess, and trying to do that weekly. Oh, yeah, for sure. How's that going? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, and, I, Andy Davis did a project where he did a song a week last, last year or two years ago. Released it or just wrote it? Yeah. No, re- recorded, oh did the whole... I don't know that he, like, released it, like, right. with the but full just, rights and everything, but put it out into the world, yeah, right. every week. Yeah. I think there's something about that that's beautiful, like, the discipline thing, I think, mm-hmm. is something that I'm starting to figure out, because, you know, I grew up with so much discipline, and it was just, like, the only thing. But I remember there was that, the, the youngest uh, captain of the Australian cricket team, Michael Clark, Pup, as they called him, um, had this... In, in you guys cl- all know about yeah, Michael yeah. Clark, Everyone right? here in America knows exactly. <laughs> you all know cricket, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, all you had to say was Michael Clark. Right? That's right. Uh, it, he had on he had tattooed when he became captain, the youngest captain ever, had tattooed on his body in classical Arabic this phrase, and and for a while he didn't explain it, and all these people were trying to figure out like what this tattoo meant. But it basically was something to the form of the pain of disappointment is nothing. Sorry, the pain of discipline is nothing compared to the pain of disappointment. Mm. which I think is huge. So this idea of like, yeah. what do you want to do with your one wildlife? It's probably going to be really hard. As cute as that yeah. sounds, that idea, like it's probably going to be really difficult to be yourself. It's really hard yeah. to actually like pursue your dream is really hard. Like it's not, it's not sexy. Life is not sexy. You know? Right. Um, so for me, the words is the thing I pursued forever. Um, and so I, I was dawning on me for a few months that, once I'm done with this, doing the singles, I want to package together and put it as, as a record before my 40th birthday because I've helped a lot of other people put out record, full-length records uh-huh. and I've, I haven't got one myself. So I kind of want to, by September is when I turn 40, I want to try and have a record out by then. But, hey, hey. but the, self, the, the, the title that I wanted for this album was As If Words Could Heal the Wounds because mm. um, I feel like that's kind of what I've been trying to do. Yeah. You know, and what I think, to a certain degree, faith communities, because we just... We don't know what to do with the ephemeral. We don't know what to do with the thing, so we try and wrap it up in words. So we try and describe God, mm. try and describe the indescribable, try to like wrap a, a doctrine or a theology around some sort of principle that exists in the world. Like, but they're all going to be insufficient, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of what I write about is social justice stuff and Black Lives Matter and um, you know, gun control and that kind of stuff. And I, I don't. I'm, I'm not a narcissist. I know that like my words are not going to heal those things. Like uh, I know that they're just, I'm trying to contribute to some sort of conversation or some kind of line of songwriters or some kind of line of poets. That's just like speaking to these things, but I'm, I'm not the last word on it, not the final word. Yeah. But that's when we kind of wrote this song about fear, writing into the fear, uh, writing the fear of lullaby. Um, and I kind of said to Karen, I'm just like, I think that the bridge of this song contains that. Like lyric, the title of the, of the album, no pressure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I think one of the things I love about uh, the word, the the line that attached right before that, which is unreleased and probably get released at some point, but the line that Karen wrote was, "You tell her a story, I sing her a tune." All the other way around, you know, I tell her a story, you sing her a tune. And I think that that that's the thing, right? Like that's what I do as an artist. It's what I believe in is that we we just tell stories and we sing things and. And we are trying to make worlds. We're trying to kind of like create something that has impact. Um, and I think to a certain degree that goes along with spirituality too. We're trying to do something here. We're trying to move the ball downfield. We're trying to kind of yeah. contribute to the long arc of justice. Yeah. It may be insufficient, but it's what we've got. Right. It's what I can bring. You know, yeah. it's the 
Parumpa Pum Pum, you know. Just little drummer, yeah. children. Yep. Yeah. I love it. Ah, well, we've heard some of your music in this podcast, so tell folks where they can get more. We're going to put everything in the show notes, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I'm Ben Grace Music everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, the whole deal, bengracemusic.com. I'm on Spotify. Um, I'm also where you guys are on Patreon. You hey, should talk yeah. about that, hey? Hashtag empire. There's this thing that exists that has been since the foundation of the world is how with the artists, which is, you know, people give us money to do what we do. Mm-hmm. You guys have one of those. People should get on patreon.com slash heathen podcast. What yeah, is it? That's it. It is? There we go. See, it's easy. It's intuitive. So good. Uh, get on there and give these guys $5 a month or $10 a month. What did you do? Tears. Uh, well, <laughs> funny thing. Three, seven, and 12. Right. Actually. Nice. <laughs> Trinity, uh, cre- right. Days of Creation, and Disciples. <laughs> <laughs> when we do a thing, we really do it all the way, you guys. We just, all the way through. We're going to add a $40 level for the flood. That's fair. And a 70 times 7 level. And the temptation in the wilderness. (laughs) 70 times. (laughs) 70 times. That's like the real support right there. Uh, Seven years of Do you want to starve Ethan podcast? (laughs) Seven years of of labor for Laban. (laughs) So good. It's a seven year commitment, folks. And then we're going to ask you for another seven years. Another seven years. Because (laughs) because it wasn't sufficient. (laughs) So good. I love that story. And if you have an idea, if you'd like to see a custom biblical tier, by all means, we are accepting your suggestions. So not only can you contribute to the cause, not only can you keep your heathens clothed, fed, and happy, but you can also create your own adventure. I feel like we should have like specific rewards too, like um, you know, if you uh, if you're I don't know, like a giving level that like forty dollars. We'll, we'll go we'll go curse a fig tree in your name, <laughs> like you know, because people buy plaques. On benches, park benches and shit. Well, we'll go, like, we'll go curse a fig tree. tree. (laughs) And we'll carve your name into it or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) This is the best idea ever. We'll figure it out. So listen, what we're saying is, come on over. Come on in. And we'll come up with something amazing. And we are... Uh, going to be providing. We haven't done a great job of it, uh, of it up to this point, but we're moving forward. We're going to be providing some exclusive content right. to those Patreon folks. Right. So, right. which including maybe um, a song that right? Heck yeah! And Grace and Karen Thurston wrote together. Maybe we can do that. I love huh? that. Maybe. Yeah. Hey. So, but what we missed here I'm also just offering your, no, I love it. Your yeah, content. <laughs> your great. Own. Yeah, we're around. Um. Also, though, what we've skimmed over here is you also have a Patreon, though, right? right that yes, people yes, can yes. go and check out. Right. You're actually doing good things with yours. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just so grateful, and I think everyone should do it, honestly. If you like Heathen Podcast, you should support it. It's, it's just simple. There's goodness in the world, and you should just love it and love on it. Um, so, yeah, you can go to patreon.com slash bengracemusic and, and kind of get some stuff there. I do, you can get like free live music whenever I kind of do that stuff. I'll put that up online. Um, I'll come to your house and do a, do a house show with a, with a craft beer, like tasting. Nice. I'm about to go to Australia and do that, which I'm excited about. Uh, so yeah, you can head over there and, and do that. That's huge. It's been a, a huge support. So if you like what you hear on the, on the podcast, support both. Mm. Hear them podcast and Ben Grace Music. 
Awesome. Just yeah. think of how good you'll feel being a patron yeah. of, of all of the arts at once. Oh my really. gosh. My, yeah. That's all I want to support. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> cheers, heathens. Matthew's clinking his mug. Um, this is your awkward ending of a heathen podcast. This is why, this is why we always we just best. do a fade out over the music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. we do. Now we, we can't figure out how to end it, so we'll do some sort it's of tangent. Final something. Countdown. There you go. And then we'll wind up laughing. And then we'll do an RCA. <laughs> and then we'll be like, oh, wasn't it fun hanging out with us?